Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we're just trying to make the world 10% nicer. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and this week's guest is super nice human and friend of mushrooms, both magical and culinary, Ophelia Chung. But before we get into the talk, I'd like to thank you, you, for listening, for supporting this podcast, for supporting the Super Nice Club, being a member of the Super Nice Club, just getting behind the idea of making the world a nicer place. Because, damn, we really, really, really need it right now, especially in the United States, especially in the United States where mass hysteria and seemingly hypnosis are running rampant. Okay, okay. (laughs) This is me biting my tongue hard to not rail against inanity, insanity, and idiocracy. Sometimes being super nice, well, (laughs) the struggle is real. Okay, let's talk about, let's just talk about Ophelia Chong, today's guest. Ophelia is driven. She's driven to help shape the new conversation surrounding plant medicine. She's the founder of Stockpot Images and Asian Americans for Cannabis Education, Stockpot is the first and only stock photo agency to specialize in cannabis, hemp, and psilocybin. The executive producer for Double Blind Magazine's series on growing mushrooms, which we'll talk a lot about, and an advisor to the DB community, DB being double blind, Chong's advocacy is guided by one mission, to advocate for the legalization of cannabis and psilocybin and offer truthful reflections of the faces and communities that embrace both. She is also known as the Short Yellow Gnome. Yep, Short Yellow Gnome, an educator and hobbyist using this time of COVID isolation to pursue her love of fungi. She sees this time as the glass half full, using her collage and living arrangement skills to create art using mushrooms by combining them into new forms. Really cool new forms, I might add. I'll talk about that in a bit. I hope you enjoy Ophelia and her wisdom. We are going to talk about a wide range of mushrooms, culinary, medicinal, magical, how to grow them, their benefits, which are also wide-ranging and well-documented. In fact, if you know anyone suffering from depression or PTSD, you should really take a listen and maybe, you know, suggest that they take a listen to this episode as well. Ophelia will also tell you about the craziest short story ever written, in my opinion, or at least ever described on this podcast. Before we get into that, though, I need to address a moment of tone deafness on my part in this podcast, in this episode. Toward the end, we discuss how COVID has been a boon of sorts for Ophelia and her passion. And I chime in pretty ignorantly that, yeah, yeah, of course, it's been a great time for many of us to be able to try different pursuits, to have the time to explore new things. Which, of course, is a wildly privileged take that completely discounts the reality for many who have lost jobs. And and yeah, sure, maybe they now have time, but uh, exploring a passion isn't a luxury on the table when it's all you can do to put food on it. So yeah, 
I suck. Sometimes it's hard to remember to always, you know, couch things the right way to stop and explain a perspective, broaden it, uh, and, and just not sound like an insensitive jerk. So, you know, I think when I was editing this this podcast, I thought, oh, I don't, I didn't get things across quite right there. So I could have just taken it out, but I'd rather just explain it, have it be a, a bit of a, a teaching moment, as they say. I'm not teaching you, I'm teaching myself. All right, ready? Cool. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Ophelia Chong. Ophelia, Ophelia Chong, thank you for being on Nice Work Podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much, Todd. It's an honor to be here. So you're in LA, right? Yes. I know you're in in, LA. You're in a beautiful part of LA. Your neighborhood's great. Sunny Hills of Los Feliz. Um, but also known in as the happy place. It is. It is a great neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I was kind of got to admit, I was like kind of jealous. I would. Like well, to it be came about there. with a gunshot, uh, actually a shotgun, uh, shotgunning of a woman. That's how we are living here. Oh yeah, what's that? Well, Colonel Griffith, the of Griffith Park, was an entrepreneur. One night, he claimed to have shot an intruder. In his bedroom, square on, it happened to be his wife, intruder. Huh. Oh. She survived. And so in the in exchange for well, you know, being charged with well, getting sent off to jail, he gave Griffith Park to the city. And so that's how and then my area was built around it. So it all came about because a nighttime shotgun blast. Great. So he gave the park to the city to basically mm-hmm. like as penance? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was very Catholic uh-huh. of him. Yeah. I know. Well, you know, <laughs> but he was, I guess he was the first OJ. So, uh, ooh. Ooh. Yeah, but OJ <laughs> didn't give a park up. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So I met you, just to tell your backstory, everybody. I met Ophelia through our mutual friend, Jessica. Hi, Jessica, uh, who recommended your mushroom arrangements. Which I bought one for Christmas recently. This this uh, pink oyster mushroom set into a black Depression era, right? Depression mm-hmm. era, is that what they call them? Uh, yep. Vase. That's gorgeous. It's gorgeous enough, I'll call it a vase. All right. I can't recommend that if – let's start this over. If you're a mushroom lover, like you're into – you're a cook, a chef, you know somebody who just loves – or you just love to eat mushrooms, this is an incredible original alternative to a floral bouquet. They're just beautiful. So if you're in the LA area, because delivery, uh, check out Ophelia's website, the short yellow gnome, like a gnome, yard gnome, lawn gnome, lawn gnome, G-N-O-M-E dot com. It, it'll be in the show notes, but check out the site because the stuff is beautiful. It's really awesome. Anyway, that's how we met. And then when I came by to pick up my beautiful bouquet, I found out that you do all this other really interesting stuff like you do a lot and so now you're on the now you're on the podcast and what an uh, honor it is so let's start with the what i think is pretty exciting this new course that you've just launched with double blind magazine called i think it's just called how to grow mushrooms right yes yeah, mushrooms okay. 101 mushrooms and, 101 okay uh it was a fun project actually we produced it over a year ago just after thanksgiving and um uh, so I executive produced and we, I helped them through all the process of how to do this 
very easy ground level way of growing mushrooms. And so we did seven videos. I did it with Shelby Hartman and Madison Margolin of Double Blind. And Brooke was our hostess. So we basically showed you how to do grow mushrooms at home. And then after that, we um, I also have the support for all our students in a private Slack too, where we answer questions. But it's been uh, amazing because I had a lot of people who kind of went into it and now they're just addicted to this hobby, so to speak. And um, because of COVID, they were all home. So I think anyone launching anything that you do at home did very well this year. And with uh, our double blind classes, we basically created uh, something you can do at home at a minimal cost that didn't smell <laughs> like if you were growing weed uh, right. and needed very little space. So basically, mushrooms are like your little best friend from high school. They're your quiet friend who was always there, very reliable, occasionally got sick a lot, as in contaminated, but they you treasured them because they were just always there for you. So that's what mushrooms are to me. Whereas cannabis is like your loud friend who always wanted a party and smelled a lot. Your mushroom friend is a quiet friend who's just there for you and really cared about your mental health, right? <laughs> so that's how I see the two. If they were, I guess, turned into people, that's who they would be. Okay. I like it. I, I agree, especially with the the – the odor. Yeah. yeah. It's one a great is, thing to one do. is certainly more subtle. You grow a wide variety of mushrooms, right? Yes, sir. You grow mushrooms for the short yellow gnome, like the pink oyster mushrooms. You also grow lion's mane. What kind of variety are you growing? And what kind of varieties of mushrooms are you talking about growing in Mushroom 101? Okay. Well, so for what I do grow that is edible, I grow. Um, about six different types of oyster mushrooms, shiitake, also lion's mane, reishi, wood ear, uh, maitake, pepino, um, those, and yeah, so about 15 different varieties of mushrooms right now. And those will be in another class coming up in January, not for double blind, for another company, but for double blind, what I've been teaching is how to grow psilocybin mushrooms. Yep. And so that is the other side of fungi because there's two kinds. There's one that are edible, but they're not psychoactive. Those are your typical portobellos, oyster mushrooms, cordyceps, reishi, all that. That's mushrooms you have on your pizza. And then on the other side is a psilocybin cubensis, which is psilocybin. And a quick way to tell the difference, if you're looking out, if you find something in a field, if you break a mushroom and it bruises blue, then it's psilocybin cubensis because um, that is a psilocin that is active in there. So, mm -hmm. but I don't recommend eating anything from the woods unless you really know what it is, unless unless you have an extra liver in your freezer <laughs> that you can replace your dead liver with. So always caution um, if you're out in the woods foraging, make sure you're with someone who knows what they're doing or have a field guide. Um, so there are ones that if you break so, them and they're blue, oh. they'll still be poisonous. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. to be clear, everybody, just to be yeah. clear, if it's blue, it doesn't mean. Yeah. You need your you liver. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
with the class, you are teaching the the psilocybin cubensis how to grow those, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. And what what is that? How hard is that? Oh my word! It is. It takes a dedicated person to grow because. Here's a great thing. Again, tying it into COVID. What are we using during COVID? We are wearing masks. We're wearing gloves. We're using uh, isopropyl alcohol, 70%. Mm -hmm. We're sanitizing everything. That is basically the foundation of growing mushrooms in general, right? All mushrooms is that you need to have a sterile workplace. So uh, we're already set up for that. Plus, growing mushrooms is not a plant. There are two different things. One expel in, uh, takes in CO2 and expels oxygen. That's your normal house plant or anything out there you see. Whereas mushrooms uh, take in oxygen and expel CO2. So they're very similar to us. Even part of their DNA is very close to our DNA. And plus they're like us. They're 98% water. So growing mushrooms is about, one, having a sterile workplace and understanding the the cycle of a mushroom they grow from spores right which is if you want to tie it in something you can, that's easier to understand spores or like their seeds right because whenever you buy a mushroom at the store if you look underneath you'll see gills these little vents underneath and that is where the spores live so that's where they drop the spores so you take those spores and you inoculate uh, a bag of grain that they love right spores love to eat either brown rice, rye berries, millet, wood, cardboard. They love that fiber. And off the grains, they also living off the, the grains nutrition as well. So it's very different. Whereas a seed, you put it into soil. Where a spore, you put it into uh, a grain or wood-based fiber that they love to eat. Because each, again, also mushrooms, different mushrooms like different food. I've only tried once and it was not too recently. I did actually this. I just cheated. Here's what I did. I bought a, a block, a lion's mane oh, block yes. from, from uh, um, Fungi Ally. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went online. I ordered a block of lion's mane. It shows up in this cardboard box. And you open it up and there's this, this fruiting body, I guess you would say, right? Uh, that's a, a block. What was that block made of? I don't even really oh, know. When that it was all is, done, it was just – that is very interesting. Good question. Because after you've inoculated your bag of food, aka grains, um, that then the mycelium, which is the next step after spores, is basically if you want to think again, if plant, it's like its roots, uh, it's a little sprouts. They encapsulate the the food that you give them. Once it becomes uh, a solid block of white mycelium, you take that, then you put it into the next step into the substrate that they grow into right um for the bag that you got they like the substrate is wood pellets soy hulls paper wood fiber they love that because those kind of mushrooms love uh wood right and soy is a really great nutrient for them too whereas psilocybin on the other hand they like in nature they love cow poo right they love hot wet cow poo so who doesn't? Just, who, who doesn't like? I'm cow telling cow. you, it's like a nature's power bar. You know, you can eat the take the whole cow right from beginning to end. So they like um, nutrients such as manure, and the what we add to is core, which is coconut fiber, because that 
basically creates a bed for them. Vermiculite, uh, which also holds moisture, and perlite. And we have a mixture, like it looks like a wet soil, like dark wet soil when you do that. Then we break up our um, fully colonized bricks of mycelium. We break that up, mix it into the bins, and then we seal the bins and they start growing there because they like warm, humid environments. Whereas oysters would like, they like humidity, but they like a little bit cooler and they love fresh air. Well, both love fresh air, but the reason why we put our psilocybin in the bins is also contamination, which is 99% of the reason uh, people will have a failed exploration into growing psilocybin because we are surrounded by mold. That's why we have to sterilize everything. So those are the two different processes right there. Got it. Well, I have only tried just that block and I did harvest a couple batches of lion's mane that were amazingly delicious. So thank you, fungially.com. <laughs> Not a sponsor, but I'm a, I'm a satisfied customer. But it left me wanting to do the real thing. It left me wanting to try to grow from scratch, not basically just get this thing shipped to me that's already been done and then harvested a few times. And then I looked into, well, how do I do this from scratch? And boy, it, it, it intimidated me. It really did. And I also realized that I'm not living in a place right now where that would be really easy to do, just logistically setting aside the space for it and all that kind of stuff. That said, I'm still going to take your course. I might not be able to do anything with it. Maybe I should take both of your courses. The uh, the magical and the non-magical type. I want to segue to a second to the uh, – we're talking about the psilocybin cubensis, the, the magic mushrooms, the psychedelics. And for those who don't really follow this part of the mushroom world, there's been a, a lot of change, a lot of, of legal change in the past few months and years regarding these – can you give us a quick update on the, the the sort of decriminalization wave that's going on with with mushrooms? Oh, it's a good question. It's uh, if we can sort of go back in our memories about Prop Two Fifteen in California, nineteen ninety seven. What that created was uh, a form of decriminalization, where you would get a ticket rather than being dragged off the jail for a certain amount of cannabis uh, that you're holding, right? It did not decriminalize uh, growing or selling. It just decriminalized you holding it. But it allowed collectives to sell to medical patients. So that's where we got the medical patient card. That was their way of having giving access to patients for medical reasons only and not recreational, which we do have now from Prop 64. Now, if we go to what's happening now in psilocybin, Oregon, in the last uh, election, passed a proposition to allow clinics to serve patients with psilocybin, but it did not. The bill did not allow the sale of psilocybin outside the clinics. So that's a big difference right there, and that will probably take about two years to happen because you again, uh, you have to write the rest of that proposition to cover how, when where and all that. So that'll probably be about two years down the road. Oakland and Santa Cruz of California uh, also passed very local as well as Denver decrim as well. Again, you cannot grow, you cannot sell, but you can be holding it right, a small certain amount. So that doesn't give, decrim does not mean that everyone's building now a warehouse to grow psilocybin because it's still illegal. It's still a schedule one drug. 
right? Now, Decriminalization course, is not legalization. There's a difference no, there. Okay. Yeah, big difference. So for me, for what I do is that I teach it, right? But I don't sell it. So there is a very, very gray line, right? And uh, what I do with my gourmet mushrooms is legal because those are all edible mushrooms, right? So the fact that I can teach it is fine. I just can't go out and start uh, building warehouses growing psilocybin. So that's that's not decrim. Got it. And I've been in researching for this podcast. I understand a little bit why and how the mushroom. What do you is there is there an insider word for mushroom aficionados? But, oh, uh, you know. boomers. Uh, boomers, right? Shrooms. Okay. It's just like okay. weed. We have yeah. our cannabis has so many of those words too. I'm waiting for the 420 of what psilocybin. Would be. That's what I was digging for. Like, what's the psilocybin like? Anyway. It's fascinating. Even if you're not interested at all in the psychedelic side of mushrooms, just when you start learning about mushrooms themselves and the mycelial network that undergirds entire forests. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ophelia, because I am absolutely novice here. But mycelial networks and mushrooms are the largest living creatures on the planet, are they not? They're everywhere. Uh, they're it, underground, they're above ground, they're in your fridge, <laughs> they are in your walls, right? Remember, what was it, about 10, 12 years ago, there was a whole thing about black mold in your homes and people are allergic to it. So really, fungi is everywhere, it's all around us, and it basically supports our whole system because fungi was here before anything else. And there is a great by, book by uh, Martin Sheldrake, but called Entangled Life. It's all about how mushrooms have are in our worlds, from truffle dogs to psilocybin to the research. So it's a really actually great book. My dog ate it, actually. My dog really did eat the book. He, For some reason, he loved the paper. He doesn't eat books, but he loved the paper on that book. And he ate the book. You know, when I, when I read about how these, these fungi can, across many miles alert and connect, you know, one tree with another tree. There's a forest fire happening and 20 miles away through the the underground connections through the internet, it will alert these other trees on the other side of a forest who will then start to, uh, you know, what trees do for the defense mechanisms. Some will emit saps, I think, um, mm-hmm. change their, you know, withdraw their leaves, things like that. Whatever trees do when there's a fire coming, they go, they probably just go, oh shit, there's a fire coming. Um, but, they also, through these the, these fungal networks, they transfer nutrients from one tree to another, from one area to another as it is needed. You know, if, if one set of trees is not getting enough water, it'll pull water and other nutrients from others. There's communication happening within a forest between different species of trees, I think, if I've read correctly. And it's all being connected and communicated through these incredible mycelial networks, mm-hmm. right? These are massive organisms. It's incredibly fascinating stuff. And of course, there are those like Terence McKenna and others who find it fascinating that the mycelial networks, at least physically, when you look at them, they don't really look that dissimilar from the human brain. It, the, the neuronal network. Is it neuronal? How do you say a network of neurons? Is that neuronal? Uh, I, Neuronic? You- 
Neurotic? I believe so. I don't know. We will have anyway. to Google that later. Yeah. You guys get it. I'm, I'm sticking with neuronal because it doesn't sound right at all. So I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah. It shows that I need more neuronal networks for <laughs> myself, definitely. So all of that area, is this – would you call this a, a big – this is obviously an area of passion for you, right? It is because um, I'll tell you just very quickly. I wrote this short story 15 years ago and it was about this world that – bred women only because they had the best, the certain type of genetic code had the strongest blood vessels. And so these women were harvested for their blood vessels and the vessels were placed in everything that empowered a city. So their what? blood vessels would be placed into running lights, food, opening doors. It was basically powering a host system because our vessels are like mycelium. There's all different connections. And so the short story is about this woman who's up next that basically to be slaughtered and have all her veins pulled over to power a whole city. Um, and then at the end of the story, there's in, it concludes on how she, she does get harvested, but in a way she takes over the whole city. Where and is that the was story? 15 years ago. <laughs> so it was, it was something incredible that happened uh, before I even went into mushrooms. So that was a connection. So, but you're right, mycelium, it's everywhere. And they do share a lot with us, which is why I'm, my affinity for mushrooms is when I grow them, I feel like they're my people. When I was growing cannabis, it was a plant, right? I would talk to them once in a while, but with mushrooms, I really shared this, hello, hi guys, you are amazing. I love you guys. And so that is how I came and I, that was almost that short story I wrote was a almost a psychic you know in 15 years you're gonna be growing what your story is about and about things that connect and power a whole city because mushrooms fungi powers our world right we might not see it but we eat it we breathe it it destroys us it irritates us we have lawsuits over them so right. it's the invisible world basically, that we just have to acknowledge to continue forward in to helping this world heal. Now, in the past, you've been, you've been at this for a few years now. Have you seen, do you feel like in the past few years, do you feel like the general public is starting to get a little more aware of this, this world of mushrooms? Or is there still just so much more work to do? There's a lot of work to do. This almost feels... Like uh, 2012, right? When cannabis, I, I'm going back to that because only I can, I can parallel them because I've been in both. And right. once the media, like remember uh, Sanjay Gupta did a mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. CNN show, I think 2015 on cannabis. Then he did one on psilocybin earlier this year. When he does it, it brings this onslaught of questions by people. What is it? What can I do? And since being in this for the last three years, I've just noticed the uptick during COVID that people needed healing, right? And the access to psilocybin was still very narrow, but it's, as far as I can see now, it's exploded. Although it's still very hard to get. You have to know somebody, you have to do this. It's not something you can go into a store or a dispensary to buy. As a seeker, you really are seeking for this. 
And there's still so many misconceptions, misperceptions, and just not a lot of information out there for people who don't know anything about them, which is why you're on right now. About six months ago, I had Amy Emerson from MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, who you work with and you know, MAPS. Amy Emerson was on talking about, now this isn't, they, they do work with all sorts of psychedelics, but specifically they were talking about phase three advanced trials that they're involved in with MDMA. And they were working and still are, I believe, working with treatment-resistant PTSD sufferers. And in just two sessions, two sessions with therapists, trained therapists, these folks have had a 70% success rate, 70% success rate. And this we're talking about a one-year follow-up later. And these are, again, treatment-resisted PTSD sufferers. I don't know if I remember exactly right, but I think she said that on the average, they had been dealing with PTSD for 15 years, okay? Two sessions, 70% success rate, unbelievably successful. There is no other, you know, Bristol-Myers Squibb created pharmaceutical that touches anything like this, right? This is something that has an unbelievable success rate. And yet, there's so much baggage around MDMA, ecstasy, party drug, et cetera, et cetera, that is also attached to magic mushrooms, which also have incredible use as legitimate therapy tools. Can you can you talk a little bit about mushrooms as therapy tools um, and any sort of successes that are that are out there that we can point to? That's a wonderful question because just recently I have been getting notes, um, actually handwritten cards, uh, messages from people who I've helped um, with attaining psilocybin. And mm -hmm. uh, some of them I've worked with for over the last six, six months since COVID, actually. Three of them are off their uh, anti-depression meds. They have found their creativity exploded again, uh, procrastination washed away, a clarity to their day that they didn't have before. And really, their doses are very low, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can build tolerance to psilocybin very quickly. But they're just on a maintenance level. It's incredible. This is stories I'm the stories I'm hearing about their lives, of how it has helped them. And when I do see them, they are joyful. It is something that I wish everyone could explore. But with the propaganda on so we call drugs, which is I think not a word that we put psilocybin under. Um, mm -hmm. It is the propaganda of. You're going to space out, you're going to trip, it's like this, or it's so bad for you. And the thing is, though, who's telling you this? Is it someone who actually has taken it? Or is it someone who has an agenda to keep that in that box under Schedule 1? Right? But however, with psilocybin, John Hopkins, their study into that, also all the pharmaceuticals investing into it, there's far more study on psilocybin than there is cannabis right now. There are now... DA labs that are now licensed to study psilocybin. Right. There's one in Virginia. Um, so it's going to be a faster, I think, track for psilocybin, but it's definitely going to go, I hope it goes pharmaceutical. I don't really believe it's not recreational. Unless you, some people say, well, I do take it on a hike and I go on a walk. But what, what they're not saying is that they're taking it for their health. They're not taking it because they're going on a hike. They're not going, taking it because they're going to sit on the beach. They're taking right. it 
because they want to heal. So that's a big difference. And also, I hope it goes medicinal because the quality and of the psilocybin itself will be controlled. Um, also, there isn't really a big opportunity to abuse it in an amount, but let's say uh, Stamets, his stack, right? He adds niacin. Yeah, he adds niacin to it because not because it's a benefit, but because if you take too many of these capsules, you will get sick, right? So niacin is actually a backstop uh, to that. So he understands too that you he does not want you to abuse it right, by it. adding the niacin. So for folks, if you're not familiar with, like, if you're wondering when I was talking a moment ago or when Ophelia's talking about how um, MDMA or mushrooms or other psychedelics can be helpful to trauma sufferers, PTSD sufferers, what this means in practice is that a person, when administered in a therapeutic way with a, with a professional or someone who is trained to do this on their own, which is also completely legitimate, they may be able to, to revisit the traumatic memories and work through the emotions attached to them without being re-traumatized or finding the associated anxiety or fear too overwhelming to continue the session, which is what happens with a lot of other approaches. So MDMA studies, you know, they appear to reduce anxiety associated with recalling these traumatic experiences. And then you get some extra insights, you get some extra memories that don't scare you back into, well, you know, a PTSD triggered event. And that's why and how they can be so helpful, you know? So if you're thinking like, oh, people are sitting there taking drugs and just, whoa, bro, crazy. No, this is just something, think of it as something to absolutely ease anxiety around these events. And that's how they're being used. And that's why they're so effective. Would you, is that a, agree on my rambling take, Ophelia? Yes, because actually there's a company <laughs> now developing uh, wearable ketamine. And, oh, interesting. And what they're trying to explore it is that if you are, a soldier on the field, you just experience a, a traumatic effect. What mm -hmm. they would do is put that ketamine on you right away, right? What so do you mean by wearable? It is still in research right now, but it could mm -hmm. be a patch. Uh huh. And what that patch would do to that soldier on the field who just experienced a severe PTSD event would then mitigate it immediately. Oh, interesting. So it would yeah. be absorbed. Mm -hmm. It would just peel back the patch. Yeah. And then uh, the ketamine would actually bring you into a space to, to disassociate you with that traumatic event. Right. And so there. So is, not like a t-shirt. No. I was <laughs> thinking of super nice club ketamine t-shirts, but <laughs> or like a CBD not gonna, pillow not work. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a lot of research on that as well for, because all those things, ketamine, MDMA, uh, psilocybin, Imagine if you were a victim of an assault, right? Mm -hmm. You could go, well, most people, uh, they do go for years and years without yep. uh, some therapy, but there's no, uh, the common frame is you'll get over it, right? The thing is, so you right. don't. What if we were able to offer that, just like the clinics will be in Oregon. Oh, very proactively. Yeah. And in just, the moment. Yes. Um, and so to help that person who was a victim of abuse or assault to to uh, have these medicines to deal with the situation right away. Right. So is that sort of, I, I mean, uh, this is all news to me. So if you're a soldier, and it's interesting because if I recall correctly, 
the U.S. government first found out that ketamine had these additional properties other than being a painkiller in the Vietnam War. It was originally these soldiers were going in, they were using it as a painkiller and they were coming out basically saying that they had seen God. And they had these, they'd gone through the, the K-hole as they call it, or as they, they call it now. Uh, and so now it's coming full circle back to these soldiers. But so you're a soldier, you see something traumatic or something traumatic happens to you, you would immediately put this on. I wonder if the idea is that it would prevent that that event from becoming so deeply carved into you as a as a traumatic memory. Is that the idea there? Mm-hmm. It would prevent the Very event interesting. and help you deal with it right away because we all have had traumatic experiences, you know, ranging. But even from- without a therapist yeah. around. Yeah. Oh. And because, of course, as we all know, the mental health of our veterans with 22 suicides per, I think it's per day, that we do not serve them well. We send them home with a box full of opiates, antidepressants, who knows what else is in there, just for them to stay basically a lump of clay, right? Yeah. Why are we, and what we're doing is delaying all the healing they should be having. So what if the VA could actually treat these traumatized men and women with MDMA, ketamine, and psilocybin? Let's help them heal rather than just put this giant band-aid over an amputated leg, right? Right. It's not going to work. And it hasn't worked. No, it hasn't worked at all. And they're, they're coming back and they're still facing years and years and years of uphill. Again, back to the MAP study. Obviously, veterans are part of the study. Their PTSD is you – know, most of the people, I believe, in, in the studies were victims of abuse, physical abuse, spousal abuse, things like that. I'm thinking – I'm pretty excited here because, you know, I'm just an idea guy, right? I'm thinking of ketamine chewing gum, you know, for kids. So, you can take – like I could take my eight-year-old to the horror movies that I always want to go to but I can't because I've got a, you know, this eight-year-old. So as soon as like the, the beheading or something terrible happens, you just tell the kid to pop a, a ketamine, you know, chewing gum. Is that wrong? I might be I wrong. Think so. <laughs> maybe that's not super nice. Yeah. No, maybe. Just, I don't know. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's not a good idea. No, you know? but maybe yeah. keeping like a, like a, what do you call the, where you have a bee sting, the effigen, the. Oh, yeah, pop, yeah. The, right. Yeah. The, you yeah. would keep that with you and say you were in something traumatic happened to you and your eight year old. Mm-hmm. Right. You can then help your eight-year-old at that point, right? Yeah, like a uh, movie. I got it. Yeah. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. This. <laughs> <laughs> and I would put do me in very, touch with who I need to be put in touch with. I've got a great idea. <laughs> I would, would do a very tiny dose. It would be. It would be like that. It would be the. It would be an instant way of dealing with the trauma that just happened. And we no, but seriously, that's incredible. That is a really interesting way to proactively, because everything I've always thought of up until having this conversation with you, I've always thought of these different types of medicines as something that obviously you administer well after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just a big uphill battle against calcified experiences that you then have to chip away at things. But yeah, wow, how interesting. So tell me, changing gears a lot here. Because I don't want to forget about Double Blind Magazine that you mentioned earlier and that you're doing these classes for. Double Blind Magazine, what what are you doing with them and what are they all about? Uh, there is now a fourth issue out. It's a biannual. It was founded. It is, well, the founders are Shelby Hartman, Madison Margolin, uh, both amazing journalists. Uh, Shelby is the publisher and Madison is the editor. 
So okay. if you go to the website, doubleblindmag.com, there's always a huge series of articles that exactly what you're talking about. Treatment of ketamine, also Jedi mind flip, what that is. And all these things written about the past, the present, and the future of psychedelic medicinal uses of these substances. I don't like using the word drugs because right. drugs has that connotation of big pharma, but also like say drug dealing or so right. and so forth. It's not a word I like to put that in there. So double blind is what I would call far more intellectual and better designed version of what high times was in the seventies. Right. High mm-hmm. times in the seventies was bringing you the best bud. They were published out of New York and they wanted to bring this to the world. Right. And talk about what cannabis is, how to grow it. So double blind is that version only designed for our times, beautiful illustrators, photography. So that's what double blind is. And what we did last year was to create this web series of how to grow psilocybin mushrooms. Our next series is going to be where one one is available. Now we're going to do a 102, which is a higher level of if you are a hobbyist, you want to learn how to do ag art plates, live cultures, um, growing bins, substrate, grain. So it's, you're now past your freshman. Now you're going to go sophomore in the next right. series. So that's what that's Double great. Blind is. It's out of Los Angeles. So doubleblindmag.com. And this is an actual magazine, folks. This is a print magazine. And I have to give credit to anybody getting into the print magazine world, especially in 2020. It is a very difficult, challenging world to succeed in, right? And I I, I always thought I would have a magazine someday. That was my big passion mm-hmm. in my early 20s. I worked and took care of the magazines at, at Tower Books and Tower Records when I worked there. And Oh, wow. I'm a big fan of magazines. Anytime I see a magazine rack, you know, I always go check it out and see because there aren't very many magazine racks anymore. You know, the whole thing has been diminished. So Double Blind Mag is, it's also, it's beautiful. The illustrations, the layout, it's a great looking magazine. I'm just going to recommend it, give it a shout out. Matter of fact, there's an article in there that I scanned today called, Can Psychedelics Help Us Face Our Fear of Death? That's another interesting, huge topic where these medicines can help us. You know, the short answer basically seems to be, yes, they absolutely can and have helped us. And there have been studies on this. And if, you know, uh, for people who are in the stage of cancer, some of these these medicines can be really, really, really helpful. It's an article worth checking out if that's something you're interested in, folks. Can psychedelics help us face our fear of death in Double Blind Magazine? Go check it out today. All right. Not a sponsor. Didn't get paid for that. Just I love the magazine. It's pretty cool. When we started this conversation, you talked about how you you intimated that 2020 wasn't all terrible for you. Let's talk about how COVID is sort of has been a, a glass half full for you with your it's, career. Here's here's what I'm about. I'm an internal optimist, and mm-hmm. uh, when things have happened to me, I always say, "Okay, that can be replaced," or I just have to shift gears. And with COVID, we all had to shift gears. All of us. It was just not me in my home dealing with something. We all did. And March, I believe, 27th is when we were locked down in Los Angeles. It was a week before that for uh, San Francisco. I I embraced it because probably you as well, Todd, you had to travel for work a lot. I was gone half the month um, 
for our last six years just working on the road. And here I was finally home, staring at myself. I in the first week I have to admit I ate two pies, ate about ten boxes of mac and cheese, and uh, because you're kind of thinking, well, what the hell? Okay, so I ate all that. And I looked around, and I had been growing mushrooms for the last three years, but nothing because I couldn't get too into it because I was always gone. So I just dived right into it. I just took one of my, I have three bedrooms, so I took one, turned into a lab. I turned my other, uh, another room into a specific grow room for mushrooms and just dived into it. Because of that, too, uh, I start posting about it, and now I'll also be teaching for my personal plants. I'm the mushroom lady there, <laughs> and so it has this glass of half full of mushrooms has turned into this completely new industry for me. If it didn't happen, I would still be in weed, this tinkering of mushrooms, but now using the last eight months, I really used every day by growing this hobby into a business. And so that's why COVID is half full for me. It's a horrible thing, but I am using that time that I'm locked in my house. I think a lot of people have been taking advantage of COVID in similar ways, especially to do things that they've always thought, I'd like to do this, but I just, I can't make that transition because I'm so busy doing this other thing right now, my full-time thing. Well, when that gets curtailed, there is that opportunity to make that jump. And also, as far as, 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 what you're into, I would just think that with all of us being in our homes all the time, there's so much inner exploration. You know, people are getting more into yoga. They're getting more into meditation. They're, they're reading books for the first time in years, things like that. You mentioned how with people not able to travel so much, this idea that you had that maybe you could help them travel internally as an yes. inspiration for what you're doing. I, I think that's a really interesting way to put it. Todd, we start, instead of, we start the inner travel agency where you are going to go to new worlds. You are going to go to old worlds. You're going to go to the underworld. You're going to be able to explore that. You have to be ready and open to do that because yes, there might be some fear, but really when you confront that fear, I always ask someone who says, I'm afraid. What is it you're really afraid of? Put yourself in that place and think about you're in that place. How would you get out of it? And usually the answer is, well, I probably do this and do that. I say, see, there is a way out of that room that you've locked yourself in. And so what we fear is not really something that's going to hurt us, but we fear we have our own fear of evolution, right? We've become too comfortable with who we are and we are not that person. It's basically a fear of evolution. Remember that movie um, with John Hurt? Let's see. It was Alter States. I do. I always wanted to check out an isolation tank after seeing that, even as a kid. I'm like, what is that all about? Well, that is basically inner travel. Yeah. All right. And I ended up becoming a John Lilly fan years later. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Anybody want to check out John Lilly? He's got a great autobiography called Center of the Cyclone, which was really impactful on me as a college kid, as an aside. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so what we were creating, that you're creating, and that you are promoting is 
our chance to inner travel. We're not, we can't get on planes. We can't get on a train. We can't go out and run around. Yes, we can do it in nature, but we are basically given our circles made a lot smaller. Well, the responsible ones anyways. So with this time on our hands, let's use it to explore within because we've ignored our inner selves for so long because of so much external noise. Uh, mm-hmm. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, mobile, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all this stuff keeps us from really looking within what we need to do. And so when you shear all of that away, it's time to really look at how you can entertain yourself and keep yourself busy. Because what we, I had all these layers onto ourselves because we don't want to explore ourselves naked, right? Mm-hmm. You'll stare at TikTok all day, but really all you're doing is diverting yourself from having your brain work. Yeah. Or, and, and I'm really realizing that I just, I can't dance. TikTok <laughs> really drives that home for me. You know, <laughs> well, I can't maybe in the next either. life. <laughs> I just snap my so, fingers on the side. I'm a wallflower. So what we're really talking about is we're talking about using different uh, plant medicines to do some inner explorations. Now, I, I've, I find it interesting that, you know, on one hand, you can have people who are very, how do you say it, sort of um, ritualistic about it. You know, they'll have the ayahuasca, the shaman, the props, everything, the chanting, uh, even even with mushroom or cannabis or something, they will take it and sort of revere the the medicine itself. And I wonder sometimes about is it is it the plant or is it the mushroom? Is it the medicine itself that is you know the messenger, the the travel guide, or is it just science and the chemicals that trigger reactions that that make us our own messenger that enable us to listen to what's already inside there. You know, it's kind of, maybe I'll lose you here, but it's kind of like similar to a split in in a lot of faiths, Christianity, that is, you know, it's similar to revering Christ in that one, in that he embodies the spirit versus maybe he's not the spirit itself, but he's the messenger. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. I believe in uh, the what you said in the latter, that we are the messenger. But the thing is, though, if we don't allow ourselves to carry a message, then we're really not... A messenger at all we have to allow ourselves to accept the unknowable right everyone wants to know what's going to happen at the end they want to know what's happening at the end of a book they want to have when you sign a contract it's all laid out there what's going to happen if this happens if that happens this happens or whatever when you explore the use of psilocybin there is no contract so you have to be open to however it plays itself out and allow yourself the freedom not to have a set conclusion because we all want to know what's going to happen. We all want to know when COVID's going to be over. We all want to know what we do know, how the election turned up. We want set things because then we say, well, okay, once this happens, then we can move there. But having psilocybin is accepting the fact there's no contract on how that's going to play out and allowing yourself just to be open and not have this set conclusion, right? That's why I tell people who use these that if you have expectations going in, it's not going to work, right? You're going to have to just go blank and then see what happens and then build on that. That's a difference too with all these articles that you're talking about. It sets expectations. Just like Sanjay Gupta, because um, with psilocybin, he 
he went to meet with a woman who's dying from cancer. And psilocybin allowed her to accept what was going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. But when you watch that, you have expectations too. Well, I want that too. I want to be like her and accept what's going to come happen to me. But you really should not have that. You just have to go in blank. That's a really hard thing to do. It's, you know, it's a really hard yes. thing to, to just, I mean, with anything. You're supposed to do the same thing, of course, on a first date, right? You're not supposed to have expectations. You're just supposed to go in, but you always do. That's just kind of how we're wired. I'm a little hung up. I got to be honest, Ophelia. I'm a little hung up on the fact that I just tried a moment ago to parallel the great schism in, in, in Christianity with mushroom use. I mean, I completely butchered it. I mean, I, I can't believe I even went there. Should I'm I, glad I should you probably did. edit that out? You know, no, I'm kind of glad you did. That out. Didn't make any sense, did it? It did because it is accepting. Uh, when you accept a religion, any religion, right? You're accepting the outcome. I'm going to go to heaven, or uh, I'm going to reincarnate, or I'm going to end up with a busload of virgins. Sorry, <laughs> or I'm the one of the hundred fifty thousand is going to go to this one place. All right, you. When you accept a religion, you are going for the outcome, the end game of that thing. With, if you want to parallel it to psilocybin, what I'm saying is that there is no end game, there's no outcome. But you have that faith in the use of psilocybin that you're going to be taken to this next level, right? But the difference between is one religion makes you believe in the end game of what you're doing and you live that lifestyle where psilocybin there is an outcome and you believe in it but you don't know what it's going to be religion will say you're going to go heaven or hell psilocybin you're going to go somewhere we're just not going to tell you where <laughs> right you have a great quote i found somewhere online we believe what we see but what is invisible to us affects us on a grander scale than we could ever imagine i work in the world of fungi and it is my goal to unveil the invisible. I love that. I, I mean, that, that sums up what you've been saying, I think. And it we should, have, because they're your words. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is that we accept what is invisible. Again, uh, going back to any job that you and I have had, we had a contract. Uh, we accept everything in that is go whatever outcome is going to be in that end contract. But when we accept the invisible, our contract is to accept whatever, there's a blank page. Our acceptance of the invisible is acceptance of a blank page that we get to write, but we just don't know what's going to be written until we come out of the other side. So it kind of works the opposite, but also in the same way. And the funny thing is, both of us are probably stone sober right now. <laughs> if we weren't, this would even go in different more places right now, mm -hmm. or we would not be, be talking at all. Our audience, <laughs> we would be losing the audience. Is is the risk there? We'd um, probably be mumbling, actually. A little bit, but we'd mm -hmm. be getting it. Is the thing we'd totally get only we'd you be and I rocking. <laughs> what the other one is getting completely. Be like, yeah, uh -huh. I'm totally uh -huh. right there. But that is an interesting thing that I wanted to. It just reminds me when you were saying that you know we could be if one of us or both of us were on something right now. A lot of people are microdosing with mushrooms right now. And so, you know, you read articles about how so much of Silicon Valley is on a daily microdosing, et cetera, et cetera. What's your take on microdosing as a sort of career tool? Ah, oh, that's a wonderful question. 
I believe for um, not just, and I'm not going to lump it. It's just for creatives. I'm going to lump it for everybody. Lawyers, uh, doctors, writers, artists, everybody. It opens you up to new pathways of solving problems because you are, you're past a few things in your head. You're past a, a bunch of blocks in your own head. So you're able to think about how you would solve this problem that you weren't able to solve before, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you did solve it before, you're now able to solve it even better by I hate that cliche out of the box, but basically we are now out of our own shackles. So by microdosing, you're keeping yourself at that level where everything is very subtle. It might not, you're not waking up to rainbow colors or things, but somehow you're waking up a little happier and somehow you're going to sleep a little happier and you are able to deal with issues a little bit easier. So during COVID, there's a lot of people I know who are using psilocybin that have been able to relax and also create new pathways for themselves. Mm -hmm. Like for me, a completely new industry and another career, but also to write better, to ride faster, to settle a case. So, you know, it's very subtle. That's again, expectations. If you expect to wake up all of a sudden with a smiley face and uh, everything is rainbows and unicorns, then that's not going to happen. What everything happens is so subtle. So microdosing is literally a microdose. What, what is it? How much compared to a standard dose of, let's say, mushrooms, which, I mean, a dose is, there's not a standard dose. It depends on how heavy you are. It depends on what kind of mushroom there is, all sorts of things. But is it, is, would you say microdosing is 10%? I mean, what, what is a microdose for those who don't know? I'm still confused a little bit around it. Um, I could, okay, let's equate microdosing to taking your centrum, right? Mm -hmm. Your vitamins. It is a supplement that will help you live a better life. I think microdosing came about uh, the usage because everyone either, I think we did not want to equate it to being quote unquote stoned out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what most people think when they see Schedule 1 drugs, they see Scarface or whatever they want to see. But right. with, with microdosing, I would almost put it to a daily supplement. But, of course, right. I would recommend every three days. But it is a useful word that is palatable and acceptable to the general public. Yeah, because there are other words that can be used but will drive people away. You, what you're doing is trying to drive people into it by making it palatable and understandable. So when you say microdose, they go, ah, okay, it's a little tiny dose. So then you have their attention and then you can move forward from there. Right. And so when people are microdosing, they may not necessarily feel anything the observable, obs observably, right? But they just trust that it's there. Again, what you said, setting the expectations, right? right. And the idea of a microdose is that it may be below the threshold of conscious feeling, but it's there. Just like when you take your vitamin C, mm -hmm. you expect to all of a sudden feel something different, right? No. I've never I taken a vitamin and ever uh, felt or supplement that has done anything for me. I've never known. I've never known. How do I know? How do I know that this is supposed to make my nails stronger and shinier? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What is, you know, you can see my nails. They look strong and shiny, oh. right? Do we ever notice a supplement doing anything for us? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I well, think some the, people do. 
Well, you, you're in that business of the message, right? And supplements are billions, trillion dollar business. So it is, your hair is going to be stronger. Your nails are going to be better. Your skin's going to look, you know, okay, it's a vitamin. How could it hurt? Let's try it. Right. Right. Um, and so with microdosing, we don't make a lot of promises, but you have to be open to try. I'm not sure there's a really great message yet on microdosing. It has to come, but it is a word that we can use that is palatable. Well, there are studies on microdosing that seem to be really promising in terms of for people in various careers, productivity studies, creativity studies, even if I recall correctly, like data processing, mathematical processing, you know, people who are microdosing are, are showing some, some advantages. So if you're interested at all, folks, you know, Google microdosing. I think it's super interesting. It's something that I would check out a regimen if I were organized enough to get around. For someone who's listening to this and is curious a little bit, like, gosh, you know, I've, I've, I've always kind of liked mushrooms, those, those ones that, that uh, I eat, but this is a whole different kind of thing. I'm kind of interested. Do you have a go-to documentary or book, something that people can pick up that might be an interesting way for them to kind of learn more? Well, there is the, the Michael Pollan book. Right now, the name escapes me. Uh, uh, it's on my shelf. How to Change Your Mind. How to Change Your Mind. Yeah. That uh, is a great book. That is a good book because it, it basically has a general overview. And then, of course, double... Hmm? Oh, I was just going to say, he went into it completely agnostic. Yes. Right? Michael uh, Pollan's a trusted culinary and, and research you know, guy. That's a great book to start there. And then again, if we go back to doubleblindmag.com, everything's written out there. Everything from... The use of psilocybin for, like you said, for the crossing over, for also for microdosing. Everything is there and it's all up to date. Plus, they have great links, too, to what's happening across the country. So I would go there because it's free and it's a great way to explore what's happening now this easily on your phone. So that's what I would do that as well. Of course, um, Fantastic Fungi, the documentary is great as well. So there's quite a few things that you can take a look at over in the next few days during New Year's or in January when this will appear. So those are what I would explore. Those are great. How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan and the documentary Fantastic Fungi. I'm just going to impromptu make an offer here on behalf of the Super Nice Club. If you pick up Michael Pollan's book and you read it and you find it a complete waste of your time, we will buy that book back from you and gifted to other members of the club. This is on the Scouts Honor System. I'm going to say a limit of 10 of those because the Super Nice Club, you know, is always in the red, but it's fun. It's, I love doing it. So if you read Michael Pollan's book and it doesn't have any value to you, we'll, we'll buy it back from you. But you got to you, you got to cover shipping. How's that? Is that fair? What do you think? I think it's great because you can donate to a vet. Yeah, we'll donate to a vet. That's what we'll do. And I know I know, just uh, we're, we are working with some local LA vet orgs, and we'll do just that. So buy the book. If you hate it, we'll buy it back. Honor system, you know, you can take advantage of that, but then you wouldn't be in the super nice club, would you? Yeah. But maybe you just don't like it. That's totally fair. Totally fair. All right. So for you, it's the time when you get to ask the super nice club members to do something super nice, like a challenge, a challenge to them where they can make the world a little nicer place. Do you have anything, a super nice challenge? What do you got? Uh, go into your closet, shut the door, and scream. 
Just let it all out in your closet. Just shout, scream, huff and puff. If you have enough room, you gotta move maybe some of the hangers, but just go in there and scream as loud as you can. Then take a deep breath, open the door, and you're out of the closet now. You've left it in there. And that energy that you expelled by screaming so hard that your throat hurts will feel so good when you come out of the closet because you're not sure what you expelled, but you did something. You did something to just rile your whole body up and just release all that air and heat. So that's what I would like you to do. Go in your closet, scream as much as you want, and then come out. I love it. That's a great one. Hey, just if you are in a duplex in an apartment, you share a wall with a neighbor, maybe alert the neighbor or do it at a time when you know your neighbor is not working, but it's COVID, so your neighbor's probably there. Oh, so just, go in your car, drive someplace, oh, the empty parking lot. Car. Yeah. Yes, and just beat on your steering wheel and go, ah, and then you go, whew. Now, should we sage that area afterwards? Or is it- uh, no, because nature will t- absorb it. Our fungi world will ex- send out its little feelers. And go, There's a fire. <laughs> There's someone screaming there. Let's absorb that energy and detox <laughs> That's fantastic. it. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Challenge accepted. I I execute all the challenges if I can, and I so far have been able to. So, challenge accepted. Later today, I'll have to do it in my car. So, oh, that bring my your kids kid don't. with you. Both of you can scream at the same time. <laughs> Okay, we'll do that. Justice, um, you're 18. You've probably got a lot to scream about. Probably mostly related to me. No, we get along great. Okay, and now you get to ask a question of me. Do you have a question? You can ask me anything. I'll do my best to answer earnestly, honestly, and with some rapidity. Why did you not start your own, um, like Todd? You could turn that into dot and then be dot brilliant. So then you could sell all these websites. It would be Ophelia dot brilliant. Or oh, I mushrooms. Can answer that quickly. Brilliant. <laughs> I have no idea. I never thought of it. Um, but being Todd with one D, yeah, it is dot. And then I had an aunt Dorothy, who was aunt dot. So I didn't really like my name spelled backwards because it just felt, as a young kid, you know, feminine because I associated it with Dorothy. So nothing wrong with that. But as a young boy, it's kind of like ah. And she was also really old. She'd come over. She had a big fur coat on a few times that she'd come over. And when I was little, like four or five, I when she would hang it up in the closet, I would go into the closet and wrap myself in it. And I just loved the smell of it. And then she uh, later got dementia, Alzheimer's. We visited her. She didn't know who any of us were. Very sad. Aunt Dorothy, really cool woman. But I don't know. That's that's my answer. I don't know where all that came from. But there we go. <laughs> Doc Brilliant. There you go. So- Doc Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thanks for that question. I will I will ponder it. It would be kind of fun to be, you would have your own dot and then we could all buy it from you. I would buy, I'll be the first one to put Ophelia dot brilliant or. Oh, I'm finally getting it right after the, like instead of dot com. God, I'm, yes. I'm slow today. That's I didn't okay. microdose enough. <laughs> I didn't microdose enough today. No, uh, it'd be, yeah. Okay. It's a whole so series instead of, of dot shop, dot brilliant. Okay. That, I'll cut you in for 10% if that one works. How's that sound? Ah, well, we got to go. Yeah. Yes. We have to go somewhere and get it done. I really appreciate your time today. I really look forward to checking out your courses on doubleblindmag.com. So we'll try that. We will try to get that going. And if anybody's interested in that, check out doubleblindmag.com. Check out the short yellow gnome. Really, her arrangements are beautiful. And if you live in the LA area, 
it's worth doing um, next time you're going to celebrate something, celebrate someone, a birthday, something like that. Ophelia, thanks for being on. Thanks for talking about all of this. I hope I didn't lose too many people with my weird uh, Christ parallel and mushrooms. If I did, you're, I lost you, so you're not here for me to apologize to. I don't think That's so because <laughs> no one, Timothy Leary didn't lose anyone. And I'm sure he was as expansive as you and uh, trying to ask questions. So he didn't lose his audience. So I'm sure you're not going to lose yours either. Well, thanks for the, thanks for the positivity. Thanks for being on. I look forward to uh, meeting you doing the next thing, whatever it is that we do, but we're both in LA. So we're going to do something. Super nice club is going to have to do something with double blind mag or with you or something in the future in, in the real world. Thank you. Thank you so much. So there you have it. A super nice conversation with super nice, Ophelia Chong. I hope you got something out of that, that at least your interest was sparked in mushrooms and what they can do. And we gave you a couple of resources to learn a bit more. If you don't remember what those resources were, the title of the book, the links, etc., the documentary, it's all in the show notes. Uh, you can take a look and remember there's a, there's a free book in there if you hate the Michael Pollan book. If you are completely ignorant of the Super Nice Club and you are just listening to this because you're a fan of Ophelia or the subject matter, we're just dedicated to making the world a little bit nicer. We're a club with members all around the world. You can join us just by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. We're not dancers like we said in, the, in this episode, so no TikTok. Uh, you can also check us out at superniceclub.com where you can get swag, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of cool stuff that will help you just start and kick off super nice conversations with people. These, these garments, when you're wearing the logo, they really do work. Matter of fact, we guarantee it. If they don't help start super nice conversations with strangers, send them back. We'll give you your money back. It's that simple. All right, everybody, until next week, please, please, please stay nice and, and sane. Sanity would be great as well.
So what? Big deal. 